what I want to know from you is how much is my business worth and can I sell it? And I, I looked at him for a minute or so and I said, well, your business isn't worth anything. You can't sell it for a dollar. Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. We'll get into this episode's conversation right after this. Gain the insight and knowledge that thousands of business owners and their advisors have used to plan for the future. The BEI membership equips you with the proven process that enables owners to exit their business on their terms. Learn how to approach the subject with your clients and work successfully with other exit planners. Receive access to video overviews, comprehensive articles, case studies, and much more. Cement your position as the trusted advisor to your most successful clients. Get started today by visiting exitplanning.com forward slash membership. That's exitplanning.com forward slash membership. John, what is our topic for today? Today, we are going to talk about growing business value. Okay, you made it sound so exciting when you it said it. It is that really way. exciting. Growing it's, yeah, I mean, business. is there an owner that we any of us represent who does not want to grow value? Never met one. Never met one. They mm-hmm. always want to grow value. They're I mean, never it, satisfied. And they may, may have nothing to do directly, at least, with leaving the business, exiting the business. They simply want to grow value. It is sort of one of the hallmarks of business ownership is the yeah. sort of constant uh, need and interest to yeah. to build value and to see what they've worked so hard at grow, right. I, you know, and and I think that's fair. So given that every business owner, every owner of a privately held business is at some level interested in growing the value of the business, there's a few different kind of ways that that can go. Right. There's actually many, many different aspects to building business value. And and we want to maybe try to clarify, because there's so many different um, sort of angles on the, on the business value topic. John, maybe tell us, when you do a lot of writing mm-hmm. and speaking, mm-hmm. you talk about something called transferable right. value. And what do you mean by that? Right. So I can give you a real quick example, but I know you've got some examples to talk about too. So my example was uh, I was doing some planning for a business owner who, sole owner, wanted to transfer his business. He thought it was worth about $5 million because the company had a million dollars of EBITDA a year, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, in addition to a salary. So it came to me, he wanted to sell right away I started asking him just a few basic questions. He had about 25 people who worked for him. Uh, they were consultants really all around the world. It was really a software installation type of a company and that they would work for Fortune 50 businesses and install and, and test uh, a piece of software that would be used across their platform. So I said, okay, well, tell me a little bit more about your your business. It sounds like a great, a great business. I know you want to leave quickly. Tell me about your 25 plus employees, first of all. He said, well, they're not really employees. They're actually independent contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, oh, really? I, I said, okay, well, and that's interesting. Well, tell me a little bit about your, your management team you have back here in the States. He said, well, I'm the management team. I just have a part-time 
assistant who does like the bookkeeping and things like that. I don't have any other employees. He said, I really, what I want to know from you is how much is my business worth and can I sell it? And I, I looked at him for a minute or so and I said, well, your business isn't worth anything. You can't sell it for a dollar, really. Why was that? Well, he, he was the entire business and he wanted to get out as fast as possible. Uh, his, he had no employees, he had some independent contractors who he retained on a case-by-case -case scenario. Mm -hmm. So here was a company making a million dollars a year, plus the, the owner's salary. If the owner transferred it, there would be no transferable value at all. So that's kind of the setup for this discussion is, what is transferable value? How do you create it? How do you preserve it? Right, so, and the lesson there is profit does not equal transferable value. That's right. And, yeah. and sometimes business owners have to learn that the hard way. So we try to yeah. separate profitability of the business or success that the business has experienced or growth or something like that from the from the question of okay is this valuable and if so is it is that value transferable right. and i can give you sort of a, a counterpoint example from one of the advisors that we work with uh, this advisor she had a client and and was telling me this story not too long ago but it's not terribly different business yeah. actually i won't get into the details because it's not really relevant but similar kind of business almost similar kind of uh, structure, mm -hmm. although in her client's case, all of those people, there were more than 25 and they were employees. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. a fundamental difference mm -hmm. because what that business owner and this advisor decided to do is get those employees empowered and, mm -hmm. and motivated to grow the business and have the business be successful. It was also a very flat organizational chart, so not a lot of layers of management. Is that the kiss of death? Not always, mm -hmm. because this owner was responsible for management and kind of overseeing and operations and budgets and things like that. But each of these many employees was kind of empowered on each project. In your case, it was installation and kind of develop, or uh, installation and setup of a software and, and in her client's case it was not that different but each employee who went out to go and work with a customer was empowered to run the project and to make the customer satisfaction be mm -hmm. as high as possible and to find ways to have the implementation we'll call it be more successful because they also implemented some very very creative employee incentive planning for all of the people across this very flat org chart and so every employee knew that if they were able to uh, create repeat business from this customer have this project or installation be more profitable than it was originally budgeted have this customer refer them to another customer all the different kinds of things that this employee could impact mm -hmm. would grow the business and would grow business value and every employee had an incentive plan that allowed them to receive what was effectively bonus compensation for the value of the business mm -hmm. at the time of a sale so if, a, if an employee was there and participated and helped grow value, then they would be able to share in it. Mm -hmm. So in this case, her client had, had realized that if those employees were not connected 
to the growth of the value of the business, it wouldn't grow as much mm -hmm. and the business would not have as much transferable value. So in that case, recommendations and referrals from customers, repeat business mm -hmm. from customers, profitability on projects and employee empowerment all went to repeatable things that could be done and done well and improved on and then expanded. And those things this business owner did find to be, uh, and the advisor, mm -hmm. tra creating transferable value. So you take a same similar sort of type of business mm -hmm. and if you implement your business practices in a different way you might get a very very different result in terms of the value of the business so let me ask you this if this next client and you know this advisor came in to talk with you and just and get some ideas if they have lots of employees who are all uh, they can document their participation in the performance of mm -hmm. the business does your does your opinion of the value of the business change well, speaking as a lawyer, I can definitely say it depends. <laughs> right. Do you think that you know, they would have a different business value? I think, well, clearly that would have more value than my client because mm -hmm. my client's company literally had no value without that person staying there. So my question back to you before I answer, my because it still depends on your answer now, mm -hmm. uh, what happens if your sole owner, in your example, would walk away from the business? Yeah, that's a difficult question. Yeah. His view, from what I was told in this in this scenario, was that there were a lot of other players in the space and that sort of small little roll-ups where a larger uh, business buys several smaller mm -hmm. businesses were fairly common in that industry. And so his observation of his industry mm -hmm. was that there were lots of uh, options available that had the sort of overseer, manager, even consolidator mm -hmm. skills in place. And what they needed were uh, extremely capable mm -hmm. employees who were very value, very valuable because they actually did all uh, had all these client relationships and the clients and their relationships. And so his view in this particular case was that was that there were lots of other businesses who would have someone who could step in and do what he was doing. Okay, so based on that, that's clearly there's some transferable value there. Mm -hmm. um, I would look at things, and maybe I'm sure you probably did this. Is there an incentive for for those employees, those important employees, to stay? Mm -hmm. Number one. So are we building in incentives? Say, okay, if you stay long term, you will get more money over time, mm -hmm. some type of deferred compensation mm -hmm. uh, that if they leave too soon, they don't get. Mm -hmm. So that would be important to a new owner coming in. You've got all these good employees, but if they can all leave tomorrow when the owner sells because they were loyal to the owner, it may not be worth as much. Right, and they did tell me the original idea that they batted around was give everybody a big bonus when this owner sells. And then they realized that that could create problems for the next owner of the business. And the next owner is going to see that coming, is going to push down on the price they're willing to pay. Yeah. Because they think all these employees are going to have a windfall and they're all going to be in the Bahamas and Tahiti and whatever. And nobody's going to be there to do the work. So why would you buy this business? So they ended up restructuring or rethinking their incentive plan in order to spread out the benefit you had to be there for a certain amount of time mm -hmm. to even be eligible 
And then you had to be there at the time of a sale of the business in order to participate. They actually structured it, side note, as more like a bonus compensation because they wanted such a large number of people to participate. Mm -hmm. So they identified that something like non-qualified deferred compensation wasn't going to allow them to have enough as many people as they wanted Mm -hmm. involved. So they reorganized it to function as a as as really a compensation bonus plan, which you can have everybody be in a bonus plan. And then they staggered the timing of their payments so that they could drag it out uh, and that people needed to stay through what they anticipated would be not a very long transition period, Mm -hmm. but enough uh, to have a buyer feel comfortable and be able to take over the relationships with the clients. Does that help? That would help. That would, I mean, you've, you've done as much as you can do because their deferred compensation has some limits on how broad deferred compensation mm-hmm. can be applied to the workforce. It's usually just the, the most important few key employees that really you can have under deferred compensation plan mm-hmm. and subject it to vesting and so on. I think that would be important to do that. And also to the extent possible, and this is clearly governed by the law and the state you, the business is in, or the employees are in is, can we have some type of an agreement tied into this? So they probably have a written employment agreement that describes how the compensation is paid and how they earn the compensation. I would also have some type of a non-solicitation agreement as part of the employment agreement that is just as important as the incentive plan if we're thinking of leaving the business. I've got important employees, I'm gonna incent them to grow the business more but I'm also going to try to restrict their ability to harm the business if they leave, not by saying you can't compete, but by saying you can't take those customers uh, who are probably more loyal to that key, that important employee than to the company, because that's Mm -hmm. their relationship. Uh, How do we prevent them from taking those people, from taking other employees? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, yeah, so so and to go with kind of in a, in a totally different direction, a lot of these businesses that I've seen and that our advisor community works with are also then trying to implement other things, right? Because I think your point is, you know, if you've done as much as you can do, that's good. And we agree. Mm-hmm. So, but is there something maybe that's outside of this scope that that could be used or could be suggested by really any advisor? You don't have to be evaluation mm-hmm. or business value growth specialist. Certainly you and I weren't, Mm -hmm. but we had several clients and I've worked with a lot of advisors who talk with their clients about maybe adding in, you know, in these consulting businesses, adding in some kind of recurring revenue uh, element to their line of business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was another business that sold uh, boilers. So, you know, not a very high tech or sort of modern fancy kind of line of business important nonetheless and and their advisor worked with them to so this kind of boiler sales and installation business really needed to grow some more to meet the business owner's goals for business value and they looked at adding a service model where there's a recurring service revenue a service contract so that Mm -hmm. customers could sign up with this company for service on a periodic basis that was already scheduled Mm -hmm and would generate some recurring revenue for the company as well. And I think these businesses that you and I were talking about originally, this one with the 25 independent contractors, mm-hmm. and this one that I uh, was brought in to help with that had all of these employees doing 
on-site consulting, those are businesses that are also, I think, good candidates mm-hmm. for finishing their project and then doing some kind of long-term service agreement. And well, that really you know, makes a difference too. It, absolutely, so that's something that, that we need to think about. So for a lot of companies like that, they have a service and warranty separate, often a separate entity right. that provides that recurring revenue. So that is one of the value drivers we talk about in exit planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost all of those value drivers that are created, in this case, recurring revenue, uh, at the very top of that is going to be a management team who is making sure that that actually occurs. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the value drivers really are implemented through the management team. That's why I keep at least harping back to the need to have a strong management team that's incented to grow value and is prohibited from harming the business if they decide to leave. And through them, value drivers such as recurring revenue uh, can be created and sustained. Yeah, I think your point yeah. is well taken because if you look at a certain um, activity, let's say let's take you know implementing a service contracts in your product installation business, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Okay, well, if the owner founder decides to create these service contracts, go out to all of the customers, mm-hmm. past, current, and prospect and talk to them, you know, are you interested in a service model? And then schedules all the service and then runs the service employees. That is not as good of a value driver as if the owner hires even just one manager Mm -hmm. who then does all of those things. Maybe the one manager has a representative who goes Mm -hmm. out and talks to all of the clients, has service technicians who go out and perform the service, has an administrative person who Mm -hmm. can manage all of the contracts and the recurring billing. So those, that setup is much more valuable, right? To the Mm -hmm. customer Mm -hmm. and to this business owner than if the business owner says, oh, recurring revenue is important. I guess I'll go do it. So we still, I totally agree with you. We need, we need an employee to do it because that's going to create repeatable processes mm-hmm. that are hopefully mm-hmm. documented, which is another one of our value drivers in a business, and can be and and can be less dependent on the owner, which is a known kiss of death mm-hmm. for business value. Things that are dependent on the owner almost create negative value. Right. And so, in exit planning, at least the way we we do exit planning, these are all valuable concepts and ideas and they in some ways kind of build a base and from this recurring revenue thought and creating a warranty and services division you can expand that out so maybe we have a business owner who has two children active in the business and maybe they don't get along great or maybe there's an experience differential well it's possible to create a service and warranty division that's a separate entity and have one of the kids be in charge of that. And the other child may be in charge of the larger organization. Uh, so there's just a lot of different things we can do in exit planning as we develop the concepts with clients and with our own experience. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it's important to point out that you and I can speak about this, but neither of us is a business value specialist or business value growth mm-hmm. specialist. And so I think I like to talk about things like this because it really does emphasize the point that you don't have to be a, 
a, a specialist or a consultant or a professional in business value growth to talk about it. Right. It's okay to say, you know, I'm not a specialist in this area, but something that I'm aware of that other businesses do to build value is X. Right. What is that thing? Maybe it would make sense, you know, business owner, are you familiar with that? And what do you think about it? And if it progresses along to a certain point, we might need to connect that business owner with a particular person. The business owner may have already with themselves or their staff and the, the inherent internal skills to make that value mm -hmm. driver a reality. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to hire a lot of consultants and expensive advisors, although that may that may in fact be necessary. But I think every advisor, <coughs> so if you're an advisor and you're listening or watching here, then you should be you should feel totally comfortable bringing up these ideas for building business value. And mm -hmm. if you're a business owner, you should feel comfortable asking your most trusted advisors. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about, you know, I listened to a podcast and they talked about these options as helping to build business value. Trusted advisor, do you think that would make sense for my business? Go around and ask people. So I think no matter who you are mm -hmm. at the table, it's okay to talk about these things and the right expertise will, I think, kind of rise to the surface and makes it make itself known. Mm -hmm. It's the not talking about it, just pretending like we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. That is, I think, the riskier thing. Right. And in our our training we do for our members, we train them on all of the what's, what to do, what this idea is, not how to do it. Mm -hmm. That is the realm of the experts. So right. maybe it would make sense for us to learn about some element of tax planning or recurring revenue, we can talk about it. And if it's of interest, then we can bring in the experts to, to do the how work, the actual implementation. Absolutely. Okay, did we learn everything we need to learn about our scenario here in terms of just kind of, kind of going into this type of business and the opportunities for value building? Do you have, were there any things that I missed? That well, this is about? clearly a start. I mean, transferable value is a very broad subject. Agreed. We'll be talking about it more. We should come back to it yeah. next time. And this is really why we plan. So we're trying to help our clients. BEI's mission is to help business owners benefit from their lives work. And we're going to do that one piece at a time, training one advisor at a time with one good outcome at a time for business owners. So that is that's our kind of mission is to continue this conversation well i agree we have lots more mm -hmm. to talk about on building business value and different aspects of it that we've seen work and maybe a few things that we've seen that haven't worked we can talk about some failures that's always fun to talk that's good about good learning experience yeah. so we'll do that in future podcast episodes please join us again for another episode of our podcast so that we can uh, continue the conversation thanks john for being here today thank you elizabeth thank you all see you next time Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit ExitPlanning.com.